okay, today's podcast. Bert's been trying to get me to podcast about this forever. And I was like, ah, nobody wants to hear it. But I just decided to do it today. He thinks I have a really good approach to how to manage a remodel. So if you're thinking about remodeling your kitchen or your bathroom, um, I don't know. I kind of break down in this episode how I manage that project. It really is a project management position to take on any kind of big construction project. So I talk about my binders and my spreadsheet and my slideshow and all the stupid, nerdy, geeky stuff that I do to keep this project on track, moving forward, organized, sourced, and running as smoothly as possible. I mean, smooth is not exactly in alignment with construction, but as smoothly as possible. So I hope it's helpful or entertaining or both to anybody that's listening. Uh, Thanks for coming back. I think um, if you're not reading our book club book, you can still read it. It's called uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Doyle. Thank you. And I'm really enjoying it. It's kind of kicking my butt in a couple of ways. So I can't wait to talk about it. This is a book club I'm going to really enjoy. So join us for that. If you haven't already uh, started reading that book and thanks for coming every week. Hopefully we'll be actually in this studio live with real people soon. That would be awesome. So stay tuned for that. Okay. Hope you enjoy this episode about um, construction slash remodel organization. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. (laughs) tried to get me to do a podcast about this forever and I've been like I don't know I think it's pretty boring but he doesn't think this is very boring Uh, he thinks it's actually really helpful I guess well you're like really good at it I think I might be really good at it I think you might be right so this podcast is about how I tackle a home remodel And I was like, I should have a guest, but then I don't know who I would have for a guest. You know, like if you talk to a contractor, they, I guess I should have had my contractor on. Maybe I'll do that in another episode. I'll just do this one. That's just about how I tackle a remodel. So everybody knows we bought a house and that this house, the house was built in 1949 and was last remodeled in 1970. The kitchen was from 1970. The bathrooms were from 1970. The wallpaper was 1970. And the appliances. The appliances were 1970, 7-0. The only thing that was not 7-0 was the refrigerator. That's it. Everything else was from the 70s, like the Vena hood. It was everything. So when I'm looking, when we bought our the house we live in now, the one that everybody knows from social media, <laughs> I always look for a good bones, right? If you have a house that has a good flow, from room to room, and you think about how you function in space, 
if it has the the basics there, you can make it into anything, right? So if you if the if the house doesn't have a good flow, then it's going to be too hard to make it have a good flow. The, then you're spending money on stuff you don't see, you know, like moving walls and stuff. You, I mean, you see it at the end of the day, but I don't think if you can if you can find a house that has a really good flow. Uh, for the way that you live, I think that's where you start. Um, when we first went into the house that everybody knows from social media, our house we're currently living in, Bert thought it was terrible because it it was b- built in 1939 and the kitchen was from 1939, including the appliances. And the bathroom was from 1939 and the tile, the sink, the shower, everything was original. We bought that house from the original owner's son. So the only people who had lived there was this one family. They had one son and he inherited it and he lived there until he was in his 80s. So that house also had not been touched. But I walked in the house and I thought, nice size living room, decent size bedrooms, Bedrooms are tucked away from where you live so someone can go to sleep and not be disturbed. So there's not like a bedroom off the dining room. Um, There's like a hallway that separates the noise from the quiet. So that's a good flow. And you walk right through the house into the backyard. Okay, that's how we function in our life. So that those pieces were there. And Bert was like, this place is a dump. I'm not living in this house. And I, you just have to have some, you, you can't look at the aesthetics. You can't look at the tile or any of that. If you're looking to remodel a house, if you're looking to buy a house that's meant to just move into a, like a ready to go house, then obviously you look at everything. But if you're looking to buy a house that you can remodel, you don't look at anything aesthetically. You look at, are the walls in the right place? Am I able to get from the front door to the back door the way I want to? Where do I put my purse? You know, how do I make a mudroom if there's not one? Um, is this laundry room something I can function in? Um, and it was if, a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, right? No pool. A, no and pool. And a woodworking shop. Yes. It was a two-bedroom, one, and a quarter bath. So, we had this bathroom we called the secret potty <laughs> off the living, off the... Apparently, at some point in time, this house had a back porch and like a little back kind of like, wasn't really a porch, but it was a back entrance. And that back entrance was closest to the detached garage, which was a single car garage and a really large woodworking shop, which is now Bert's podcast studio, the one he's been in forever. The man cave. The man cave. So when there was a little toilet, literally a toilet in a closet, like Bert's knees almost hit the wall, right at the back door that went to the podcast studio. Um, So I was like, well, at least we have a toilet. So if someone's back there, they can come in and go to the bathroom and leave. They don't have to go to our one bathroom in this house. We lived there for a long time before we remodeled it, but we we did redo the man cave right away that the, everybody, I'm sure most people know, the TV show Man Caves did the man cave for Bert as a trade when he was on Bert the Conqueror. So we got this amazing man cave that turned into this podcast studio. And that was a gift. That was another space for us to live in. That was another part of this house as I thought, okay, before I even knew man caves was going to give us that, I thought, um, 
that space, that woodworking shop can, is another room. Oh, so yeah. Whatever we make that room, a man cave, a playroom for our kids, a, a pool room, hangout, game room, whatever we do with that room, that's an extra room. So that was part of my bones, looking at the bones um, and figuring out at some point, a lot of this doesn't need to change. It just needs to be updated and remodeled. And we just needed one more bedroom. So we ended up just adding one more, but we only added 400 square feet and then reconfigured the, we moved the kitchen to the other side of the house. And we have been really comfortable in that house until our children became adult sized humans. And we got not one, but two bull mastiffs who are the size of adults. And now we're falling all over each other. It's an 1800 square foot house, which is, you know, in some parts of the world, really huge in LA. It's a, it's kind of a, medium, smallish house. But I know I grew up in a 3,000 square foot log cabin, you know, on 20 acres. So for me, it's a really small house. Um, My three bedroom apartment here is like 1,300 square feet, maybe 1,200 square feet, I think, which is huge for LA. It it was built in the 60s. Right. Um, But man, adding that 400 square feet to your house just really made all the difference. It did. It changed everything. It was really great. And for those of you who weren't listening during that time, I don't even think I had a podcast at that time. I didn't. No, definitely not. No, uh, this was before Wife of the Party. Um, We were living in the house while we were remodeling it. So our house is configured where you walk in the front door and you're in the living room. And then shortly after, you can take a right into a hallway that has the two bedrooms and one bath. So we decided we'd just close that up. One of the bedrooms was going to be taken. Part of it was going to be taken for the kitchen. So we moved the girls into the bedroom and the living room became our bedroom slash living room slash kitchen. So we just closed off the back of the house, got a refrigerator and storage for food. And I turned my front porch into my um, kitchen, an outdoor kitchen. And the remodel took about five months. And um, it came in on time. It was one week over our time limit and I was on budget. And so I thought, I must be really good at this because that doesn't really happen. People don't come in on budget. Now, the current project is not, I'm not going to be quite so lucky. There was a lot more curveballs and the pandemic and the cost of goods during the pandemic has been something that no one could have predicted. And the slowness of this pace, no one could have predicted either because of the pandemic. But when we did that first house, I just thought to myself, what, what was the key to success in this remodel? And I think it was um, a couple things. One was perspective to understand that this is going to be inconvenient aggravating, uh, not easy. Uh, It's going to require a lot of patience and problem solving and a lot of acceptance that some things you want, you may not be able to have. Um, And if you approach it with the right perspective, I think that you are less apt to be miserable. Most people are like, it's the most miserable time of my life was when we were remodeling our house. We had a blast. We felt like we were on a perpetual camping trip, but we had the right mindset. We really did 
approach it going, at the end of the day, we're going to be really happy and problems come with the territory. That's, I mean, it's just, that's just the nature of the biz. The other part of it was um, preparation. So the two keys were perspective and preparation. So for me, preparation happens like this. I have to find an inspiration photo, right? I find something on Pinterest, in a magazine, on Howl's. I just search for images, French country or um, mid-century modern, whatever it is I want my house to be, I find a picture. And that picture guides me through the whole remodel. So when we remodeled the house we're currently living in, I found this, I wish I had it. I found this beautiful picture of a kitchen. It had dark cabinets, it had a farmhouse table in the middle. And I just loved that tone and feeling and color scheme and materials and, you know, reclaimed wood and dark wood cabinets. And I just loved the whole package. So I kept that picture with me. And when I was shopping for everything, I thought it's got to fit the feeling of that picture. If it fits with the feeling of that picture, then I'm on the right track. So with our current house, I have an inspiration picture. I'll show it to you. This is it. Now, my house looks nothing like this. Hold it up just a little. like. But what's that? I can't see what it looks like. Okay, there we go. So that's my inspiration picture. And for those of you who are listening... It is a white farmhouse with uh, black windows and natural like walnut color wood doors with some rock around um, the footing of the house. And it has a little bit of a metal roof and a shingle roof. So a combination of the two. It has the uh, light fixtures that are kind of on a, on a, what, a gooseneck and it just looks like a farmhouse, but it looks a little more refined and very specific in that it's white with black windows and natural wood. So, and I love the stonework. So then when I go to shop for anything for this house, I make sure that it fits with this inspiration picture. When I'm t- when my contractor came and was like, what are you thinking for this house? I gave him this inspiration picture and said, this is the feeling I'm looking for. This is not exactly what we're going to do. We're not going to replicate this photo, but this is the feeling. So if you knew that you wanted some kind of really great mid-century modern house, you should find a picture of the exterior of the house that really knocks your socks off. And then that can be your basis for everything. I've used this inspiration picture for my kitchen designer, and I only hired a kitchen designer and a pool designer. Everything else I'm doing myself. So for those people... I just show them this picture and say, I need it to work with this idea. And it's such a shortcut. It's amazing what a shortcut that is because then the pool designer doesn't try to sell me all this like modern looking stuff that doesn't go with this picture because it doesn't work tonally. So that's one of the things that I've found very, very helpful in this process. And then if I'm ever like shopping for something that goes in the house, I always think about this picture. Does it fit? Does it work? And it's just really helpful. So that's one of the things I do. Another thing I do is when I first start, once I've found my inspiration picture, I start going on Pinterest and on Howl's and on lots of places online and just looking for 
pictures of whatever I'm inspired to look for at that moment. It may be my master bathroom. It may be my kitchen. It may be my backyard. It may be my front door. It may be the pantry. Whatever. I just start looking. It really, research takes so much longer than actually purchasing or finding even what you need. Like if you can research and figure out what you want your master bath to look like, find an inspiration photo for that. Then you can say, well, I like everything in this photo except the mirrors. So let me just see if I can figure out these pieces of this, except for the mirror. Now we found an inspiration photo. I wish I had it. I do have it somewhere for our master bathroom. I showed it to Bert. It's also, by the way, a shortcut for your spouse. So Bert is a non-imagination person. Like he can't, as creative as he is, I can't say, I'm thinking this room will be blue and he he can't see it. Like I'm thinking the kitchen island will go here. He cannot see it. He has to see like a picture or I have to block it off with like stakes and rope or something. He has to see the actual thing. He can't visualize it. So if I find an inspiration picture, I'll say, I'm thinking about this for our house. And he'll go, Yes. And then I go, got it. Now we're on the same page. I did the same thing for our master bathroom. I did the same thing for our kitchen. I found an inspiration photo and showed it to Bert. And he was like, that's, I'm on board or I'm not. And then I could find another inspiration photo if he wasn't. And then I made sure we were on the same page generally. And then as you start picking finishes and stuff, I would show him what I thought I liked and then let him kind of you know, guide me based on what I liked. It's too hard, I find, to shop for things together. I think you need to have someone, one person who is kind of in charge of finding and making decisions, but consulting the other person along the way. So, for instance, I found this inspiration photo for our master bathroom. And I showed it to Bert and he was like, I love it. So, I shopped for floor tiles. I couldn't find any I liked forever. And finally, I found two different ones I liked equally, and I showed them to him, and he picked the one he liked. Fine. I was not attached to one over the other. Fine. Now he feels like he's been part of the decision, and I've done all the work to make sure I'm happy also. So I'm not presenting something with him that I don't want. Just what I do, and then letting him choose. This makes sense. So after I start getting all these digital kind of images from Pinterest or wherever, I start putting them in binders. I am the queen of binders. So I have a outdoor binder. So this is all my inspiration for everything outdoors. It's pictures. It's um, tears from magazines. I like these little pockets these folders with pockets so you can tear something out of a magazine. Anything I find that I like, I know you can't really see that one, I pull out and put in my binder. And these are not things necessarily in the beginning that I'm going to buy. They're just things I really like. So when it comes time for me to start buying, I have them all in one place. As easy as it is to put things in Pinterest, Sometimes I find things in a magazine and then I have to take a picture and then I have to upload it and then it doesn't go in my Pinterest and now it's in two different places. I like everything in one place. So I put it in a binder um, and I separate the binder by what's important to me. Like this outdoor binder has front yard, backyard, outdoor patio, chickens, fences, gates uh, for the entryway. I have one 
for bathrooms only. This is my bathroom binder. So I have George's bathroom, Isla's bathroom, guest bathroom, master bathroom. Everything is in here. Oh, here's my inspiration photo. Our master bath is not this big. <laughs> this is pretty big, but this was my inspiration. I was like, I love the dark blue. I love the shiplap. I love these. I love everything about this picture totally. Bert, do you like this? And he was like, love it. Okay, then I'm going to go and try to replicate this with something that I really like. Um, and then as I start purchasing items, like we have a freestanding tub, I will print out the specification sheet for that item and put it in that section of my binder. So now when my plumber shows up and says, do you have the specs for the binder for the tub? I do. It's right here. Because when I've purchased it, and printed my receipt, which is also in my binder. This is not for that. This is for floor tile. So floor tile for my master bath receipt is in my binder. And this is for my faucet in my binder under that tab. So now what if you get robbed? We got robbed. Everything we got was wiped out in our garage. I went to my binder and went, huh, where did I order this and this and this that was just stolen? Oh, I have it right here in my binder. I'll just go ahead and reorder it um, and file an insurance claim but and reorder it. So it makes it easier. And now years later, we have, you know, it's been five years now since we've remodeled our other house. I love my wall color in my master bedroom. I want the same wall color. I don't remember what that wall color is, but guess where it is? In my binder. <laughs> so all I have to do is pull my binder out from that and it's got my wall color. It's got my flooring. I take pictures of samples. This is a countertop sample. I take pictures of that and put it in my binder. Um, and I have a binder for the main house, the bathrooms. I have a binder for the ADU here. And I have this binder, which is a really important binder. This is kind of a general information binder. It has my permits. It has my contractor's contract. It has my termite treatment contract. It has any kind of big contracts uh, and anything that's like whole property inclusive, like I had to have a survey done. Well, that's not really part of the design element, but it is something I need to keep. So I have one binder that just kind of catches everything that's not really design related, but has to do with remodeling the property. So if years from now I go, hmm, I need a survey. Who did that survey for me? I know it's in my general information binder for the property. Um, is this super boring, Halston? No. Okay. I just, I mean, I feel like it might be a little boring, <laughs> but I love this shit. No, so, it's your organizational is on another level. And like that, right? It's got to be so helpful. I mean, for example, that you just said, you guys got robbed. They stole like your oven, your fridge. I don't know. What yeah, else did they did. steal? They stole our oven. Uh, Bert wanted a built in ice maker. They stole that. They stole our refrigerator. We had a beverage fridge. It's not a full fridge, it was stolen. Um, our uh, plumbing fixtures were stolen. And then several other just personal items, but construction related, it was pretty much everything for the kitchen, um, except for the vena hood. Everything else was just wiped out. So it was super easy to go, oh, I bought the ice maker from 
this place from Best Buy and I bought the the oven from this place and all I had to do was just go reorder everything. But really the down the line piece of it is almost more important because there's been several times when I've had at the other house, there's been several times where I've been like, wait, where did I buy this appliance that's not working now? Where's my warranty? I also stick my warranties in these binders for everything, all my owner's manuals. I have one of those like um, see-through plastic folders that has the, the lid that I put all my owner's manual for all my appliances in there. And then when you're done with your remodel, you can find a spot in your house somewhere to just stick all these binders. Um, as I start making decisions about design, in, like I'd shown you before in the outdoor, I have several things in there that I'm not going to end up doing. I usually take it out, but I don't throw it out. I have another binder for that. I have a binder of things I didn't do so that if I ever, this has just happened, we designed our barbecue and we just weren't happy with it. And I had pulled out all the things we weren't going to do. And I was like, let me go back through and look at the ones that we rejected and see if there's something in there that makes sense now. And there was. So I don't ever throw anything out. I probably will when it's all over. But for the meantime, I just set it aside. Like this is not working, but I really liked it. So let's keep it. And there may always be an element of something in the picture that you like that you will, uh, I will remember. I'll be like, oh, but I remember that pathway in that front yard. I really like, let me see if I can find that. We call it a tear sheet. I don't know what it's really called, but I call it a tear sheet. Like where you tear it out of a magazine. <coughs> okay. Another thing I do, I do two more things that are super labor intensive in the beginning, but are so helpful in the long term. I make a spreadsheet of a budget right? I take my contractor's contract and I break down every category he has, kitchen, bathroom, flooring, roofing, siding, gutters, whatever is on his list. And I put on that spreadsheet what his cost is for that. Let's just use stupid numbers. Let's say for the kitchen, he's given me a $100 budget. Obviously, it would never be that. But let's say his allowance for me is $100. I know I'm responsible for buying tile for my kitchen. So he's set aside 20 bucks for tile for my kitchen. So, okay. So I know that I have $20 for tile. So I break that out in my budget. This is what he's giving me for tile. Now I find tile that's $30. So I'm going to write that in my budget and that helps me see how much over budget I'm going. So, he still gives me the credit for the 20 bucks, but now I'm $10 over budget. Does that make sense? So a budget, having a budget that you plug your numbers into as you purchase things helps to keep you on track. So if you find, this is what I do also, if I find that there is, like in the house we're currently living in, I wanted this specific flooring in the bathroom and it was really expensive. And I knew that was going to eat up a lot of my budget. Remember, I came in 2% over budget on that house. So I did really good with sticking to my budget on that house. And I thought, well, if I'm going to spend a lot of money on that tile for that bathroom, where can I save money that I feel okay? 
So I decided to save money by doing that bathroom in just a simple subway tile on the walls and to put shiplap on the walls, which is really inexpensive, but is timeless. And if you, you know, there's a million different ways you can lay out tile. You can lay it out vertically, horizontally, lined up, 50% offset, 30% offset, um, and Chevron. There's just so many different ways you can be creative with a simple tile that I thought, I'm going to spend my money on my floor, save my money on my shower tile. And so I was able to balance my budget that way. I think you, at, when you're designing a house, you have to figure out what your must-haves are. So when we redid the house we currently live in, the, the man cave had mahogany doors, and we wanted to mirror those doors in our backyard. We were like, well, it doesn't make sense to buy like a cheap door when we're walking out to this beautiful mahogany door that, you know, man caves gave us. So that was somewhere I felt it was important to spend money. But I, do, I did not in that house feel it was important to spend money on my kitchen tile. I just wasn't attached to it. I just thought, I'm cool with a simple subway, and I'm cool with that. And there's so many tiles. I mean, a subway tile is like $1.20 each. They're really cheap. But if you design it right, they can look amazing, and they never go out of style. And there's a million colors. You don't have to just have white. You can have blue or yellow or pink or green or whatever you want. So. Thinking creatively with your budget and figuring out before you start, what's your deal breaker? You know, I have to have um, a clawfoot tub. Have to. Okay. Well, have the clawfoot tub. Then you may have to sacrifice somewhere else a little bit to stay in your budget. Now, if you don't worry about a budget, you don't worry about it. But you need to, I mean, I think it's really smart to set a budget so that you're not overwhelmed and you're not at the end of the day going, oh my God, I thought this was going to be 20 grand and now it's 50. That means you set a very unrealistic budget. So getting your contractor's con- contract and breaking it down for yourself in a spreadsheet and then doing some real shopping and seeing, okay, if he's giving me $20 for my kitchen, what can I really get for $20 for my kitchen? And seeing if that's something you're willing to do. If it's not, then you either need to have a conversation with your contractor about in, increasing his budget, or you need to have a conversation with yourself about what you can realistically afford in your budget. So, so what exactly does a contractor do? Oh, good question. Contractors do a lot of stuff. First of all, they have knowledge about building codes, building and safety codes that I don't, I don't know. And I've done quite a bit of remodeling, but I, there's no way I could keep up with all these codes as just a regular homeowner. Um, so they are supposed to know how to build your house to code, to safety and building codes. And depending on the contractor, I think there are different levels of service that they provide. So my contractor ahead of time, we sit down and he says, do you buy the tile or do I? Do you buy the windows or do I? Do you buy the doors or do I? Uh, Now, he'll provide me the information for what I need to buy, but I buy the things, right? So, different contractors will do different things. I think some of them will buy everything for you, your tile, your, your flooring, your windows. But I didn't do that because if I pay for it, I avoid paying the 20% contractor markup, right? If a contractor buys it for you, he adds 20%. That's his contractor's fee. So, if you're someone who's resourceful, 
and says, no, 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 I have no problem. Give me the measurements for the windows and I'll go buy them. I recommend you do that because it it keeps your budget lower. It keeps it 20% lower. So that would save you a lot of money. It's a lot of work and it is a headache for you. But if you're budget conscious, then you can do that and save yourself quite a bit of money. So contractors deal with their Uh, Depending on the size of the contractor, some of them have their own electricians and plumbers on their staff, but my contractor doesn't. So he subcontracts the plumbing, he subcontracts the electric, the air conditioning, the insulation, the paint. Um, You can also, for most uh, contractors, say, I have a great plumber, I'd like to use my plumber. Most contractors will say, you know, let's meet and see if we're on the same page and if everything works out, no problem. Um, So I have a a painter that I really love. So for this house that we're doing right now, I said, I have a painter. Just leave the painting out of the bid. I'll take care of the painting on my own. So they do coordinate with each other scheduling, but not really. It's usually it's run through me. But again, this is a way for me to get the product that I want and save 20% on painting. But it is more of a hassle for me. So now I'm the middleman in scheduling. I'm the middleman. I'm the person who has to figure out all the things that he needs for paint as opposed to my contractor. Let's see, what else does a contractor do? He's kind of a project manager if he has a lot of subcontractors, just making sure that everything um, is facilitated with your design. So if you, if you, here's another place where money well spent. If you are doing a major remodel, not just an aesthetic like I'm going to gut my kitchen and put in new cabinets. If you're doing a major remodel, I highly recommend you hire an architect, even though they are very, very expensive. It is worth it because you end up knowing precisely where everything is going in your house, where your air conditioning vents are going where your electrical outlets are going instead of having to figure that out on the fly. That's, that can be very stressful. So as expensive as hiring a, a architect, an architect can be, um, I think it is worth the money. And then you can try and save money other places by like buying your own windows um, so that you're, you know, you don't have that contractor's markup on that. It says a general contact, A general contractor is responsible for providing all the material, labor, equipment, such as engineering, vehicles, and tools, and services necessary for the construction of the project. A general contractor often hires specialized subcontractors to perform all or portions of the construction work. That's right. That's very accurate. More eloquently said than I. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. So things to look for a contractor, I think when you're looking for a good contractor, it's always best to find one through word of mouth, right? Someone who's worked with someone and they were happy with them. A a word of caution. I have never known any person who is 100% happy with any contractor ever. Contractors, like everybody else, are flawed human beings. Some will be better at design, not as good at building. Some will be better at building, not as good at design. Some will be good with timing and not good with budget. Some will be good with budget and not good with timing. It's, you have to do your legwork. See if you can find any reviews on Yelp. See if you can find someone who's worked with this person in the past. 
see if you can lay eyes on their actual work. So if you find someone who's who they've worked for, see, I've let several people come see my house who I don't know, who have said, I'm thinking of hiring your contractor. Would you mind if I took a look at your kitchen? Absolutely. No problem. I was very happy with my contractor and he is flawed. And there are places where I go, hmm, I need to watch this area because this is not his strength. His strength is over here and his weakness is over here. And I just need to be on top of that. So I think people unrealistically think that a contractor is just is perfect, makes no mistakes. You know, I had a mistake in this house uh, yesterday where we figured out that our hallway, because we're remodeling, we're not building a new house. Our hallway has a one inch downhill slope. <laughs> it's really hard to meet a tile bathroom with a hardwood floor when there's a one inch downhill slope. So he was like, I should have caught that. My bad. Now we're going to have to rip out the bathroom tile and retile so that I can add more cement to make this level. I will absorb that cost. And I said, thank you so much because he's right. He should have figured that out ahead of time. Didn't, was super willing to say this was my mistake and I will absorb that cost. To me, that's a really good contractor. As soon as he's figured out a problem, he comes to me. He's honest and forthright. We had another problem where we had a doorway that was originally like a pass-through that was originally drawn with a header and a small wall. And I was like, why are we doing that? That looks kind of stupid. And then when they didn't frame that out, I was like, wait a minute, that actually looks stupid. I think it does need the header and the wall. So he had to have the framers come back and they charged him more money. And he just had an an open conversation with me. He said, I'm not sure what to do about this. It was in the original plan, but if they had framed it when they were framing the rest of the house, I wouldn't have been charged this additional fee. So it's really kind of a change order from you, but it really was sort of part of the original agreement also. So how do I deal with that with you? How do we reconcile that? I was like, well, let's, how about we split it 50-50? And he went, perfect. But to me, that's a good contractor who comes to you and goes, I'm not really sure what to do with this. Help me figure this out. You know, even with big problems, um, we found asbestos in this house and he came to me and went, how do we figure this out? And so we were able to figure it out together. I think any contractor who's not willing to be completely transparent is suspicious. So that's my, my opinion, because if you, again, if you go into a remodel with the mindset the right mindset of I'm going to have surprises. They are inevitable. A one inch downslope in a hallway, surprise, <laughs> that's inevitable. So if you go into it knowing you're going to have some of those, when they come up, I think it's they're less jarring. And a contractor should be the same. If a contractor worth his weight has done this so many times, that there's going to be so many, you know, so many past experience of having problems and having go to a homeowner and say, mm, I found this thing, let's talk about it. That's, that's kind of what you're looking for. And, and someone who, whose end goal is for you to be happy. I know I worked with contractors in the past when I was uh, managing apartment buildings that just said, yeah, this is just how it's going to be. And I'd go, but it's not. I'm actually paying you. I'm actually telling you what I want. And if I change it 18 times, the answer should be, 
Yes, unless it goes against code or it's some kind of safety issue. I'm paying you. It should be, yeah, that sounds great. Now, it doesn't mean he does it for free, but he should be willing to step up to the plate as often as he needs to to get the job right for his customer. And I know some are like, she's such a pain in the butt. She's changed this four times before. I've never experienced that attitude from my contractor ever. And I think that's a positive thing. It seems like a bad contractor will make your life a living hell. I mean, I'm sure some of the people that complain about having the remodels just be the most miserable time. It it might have to do with having a bad contractor, one that doesn't go with the flow, one that upcharges you, one that is nasty even, and one that just doesn't do what you need them to do. You know, like it's your house, it's your remodel. You're right. Yeah. The answer should be 18 times. Yep. Yeah. Let's get it done. And you know, a good indicator of whether or not your contractor is on the right track is, is he passing his inspections? My contractor passes every inspection first time. I think there's been one time we've done two major projects, actually three major projects together. And I think there's one time he didn't pass inspection and had to do some minor, some minor thing to be able to pass. And that is it. So that to me says he is building to code and code is about safety. So that's a good indicator that you have a good builder, right? Maybe, I don't know, good contractor. That's an uh, all encompassing statement, but he's building it properly. Him and, and his really, team. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's, it's being built well. And when you have something that's well built, it's easier to fix problems. When you have something that's not well built, it's really hard to f- go back and fix that. You know, if you don't have a level, my, my floor is not level because it was built in 1949 and things shift and earthquakes happen and, and nothing was retrofitted in 1949. So it's not super shocking in California that things aren't level. Um, but from this point forward, what he's building from now forward should be in really good shape um, because I think he's a really good builder. Okay, here's another thing that I do that's really helpful. Can I share my screen? This is a new addition to what I have been doing. So I made a PowerPoint that is shared with my contractor. So in this PowerPoint, I know this is seems like a lot of work because I've already done the binders, but the binder is really about creative brainstorming and keeping up with receipts and that kind of stuff. This is more about facilitating the boots on the ground work. So when my contractor talks to his subcontractors, he can get into this document on his phone. He doesn't have to carry anything around with him. He can open up. I use Keynote. You can use PowerPoint or anything that's a slideshow type uh, application. He can open this up and go, here's her inspiration photo right here. She's thinking about doing something like this for pavers. So he can show whoever he's talking to what I'm thinking. I also have some inspiration pages in here too, just just for me, but like, this is what I wanted our front porch to look like. This didn't exist. 
So he had to build this. So instead of me trying to verbally explain it, I put it in here. And now when the framers come, he can open this keynote and go, this is what she wants. And there's no miscommunication or, or little. So let's just look at my upstairs powder room, right? Here's my upstairs powder room. So I print this out and tape it inside the room. So now I'm, I'm missing the sconces. I just bought the sconces, but I haven't put them on here. Now my wallpaper go, guy knows what wallpaper goes in. My contractor knows which vanity. My tile guy knows what the tile looks like. Uh, my contractor knows what my mirror looks like. My plumber knows what my faucet looks like. And they don't need me to find this stuff. They can look at the picture and go, oh, well, this one goes in the upstairs powder room. Oh, well, this is the tile for the upstairs powder room. So I've done that for all our bathrooms. So here's my downstairs powder room. Okay, here's my tile. Here's my light fixture, my mirror. So anybody who needs to know anything about anything has this printed out, taped inside the room. So once I get like for some of these rooms, I need a paint color. Okay, I'm going to put the paint color on here. Guess what? Now the painter knows what paint color is on there. Who may go to the store and buy 18 paint colors and not know which room that goes in. They go in. Well, now he does because I just print this out and he just does it like is on the piece of paper. It just keeps, I feel like it, it cuts down any kind of communication errors, right? To just print this out and stick it up. Like here's George's closet is different than Isla's closet. One of them wanted a container store. The other one wanted this, Georgia wanted this wood closet. So now when they're ready to install the closet, he knows this is the stuff that goes in Georgia's closet. And he doesn't have to go, which one gets the container store stuff? I don't remember. And again, this is a shared document with my contractor. So he can go in here anytime, day or night, and see what I need in that room. And he doesn't need me. Yes, it takes a little bit of work. Yes, it takes a little bit of preparation, but it saves confusion and mistake. So, and then if the mistake happens, it's not on me. Is this in this document? How much of a nerd am I now? <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I'm such a dork, but this, I flipping love it. And like here, I thought this was a beautiful bathroom and I love these beams and I was super inspired. So I just dumped it in here, even though I'm not going to use it here. This is the fire pit. I love this fire pit. It looks old and like it's been here forever. And I just put it in here because I can share this with my pool guy. I haven't updated the pool stuff yet. We just picked out our pool tile yesterday, but this is where I would put it on this page. So now I've shared it with my pool guy. I've shared it with my kitchen designer. So she and I can communicate. I'm communicating with everybody through a document that has real items in it. Does that make sense? So if you're, I'm going to stop sharing my screen now. If you're remodeling your kitchen and that's all you're doing, you probably don't need a document like that. Or you can just do it on a, like a Word doc. But where something where there's several rooms and there's several moving parts, I think it's, it's been really helpful. And it's been about creating accountability, right? So a contractor can't say, oh, I didn't know that tile went in that room. Yes, you did. There's a picture of it in the room and you have it on your phone. So you can't tell me I was confused. If you were confused, then you're an idiot. 
I mean, it's, I try to make it idiot proof. Does my dad did, my dad taught me that my dad was like, if you set a system up properly, it will run itself. So I feel like it takes a lot of time to set the system up, but really once you get started, it's a habit. Like I'll buy a light fixture and when the receipt comes up with the picture of the lights fixture, I'll just screen grab that little picture and drop it into my keynote and then I'll put it on the right page and it's done. So it just setting up the keynote was probably the most time consuming part was just getting all the pages and naming all the pages. And then you just dump images into it and go, here's the vanity. Here's the light fixture. Here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the, and you're done. So helpful for people like Bert who learn visually or need that picture to really um, understand what you're talking about. It's true. And, you know, in California, I have another document separate from that that's just about tile installation because there's so many specifics about tile. You have to, you know, tell them. I should probably just show you that. I'll show you that. Let me just show you. Show me your tile document. So for my tile, because there's so much specific information, it doesn't really fit on that page. So I made a tile schedule one. So this is Isla's bathroom. Don't tell anybody I'm showing Isla's bathroom, but hers was the most complicated. So her, this is her shower floor. Here's a picture of it. This is her sub, her tiles. She wanted black tiles against her back wall, but this is a black subway tile back wall. And they're in a brick pattern with a 50% offset. And here's what that looks like. Wide subway tile on left and right walls, brick pattern with a 50%. Here's what that looks like. I didn't have the tiles when they started. So I put a note in here when they would be picked up, right? And then here's her floor tile. She wanted this also, a 50% offset uh, brick pattern. They weren't ready yet, but here you go. So, and I even wrote, the floor tile is matte white subway running horizontal if you're standing in the bathroom doorway. So, this was stuck up for the tile vendor. So, in California, a lot of our um, skilled labor workers who do things like install tile don't speak very good English. So, for them to have a visual and someone in their crew can usually tell them this says shower floor, this says shower niche. This says, and can read these to them. I can't speak Spanish. I would be happy to write this in Spanish, but I just don't speak Spanish. But because there's a visual, they can go, oh, okay. Here's another one. This is my pantry, my laundry room. That's what the flooring looks like here. But I want it laid out like this. So that one goes this way, one goes vertical, one horizontal, vertical, horizontal. So I put this on there. So when they start laying the tile, they know that it's not just all in a straight line or all in a straight line. They can see what it's supposed to look like. What's this one? Here's my guest bathroom. Shower tile, shower niche, bathroom floor. So this is something else that I, again, printed out and taped in each bathroom. And that way they didn't have to ask somebody. They could just look at the picture and go, oh, okay. I got it. I'll go find the tile that looks like this picture for this room. I'm so helpful though. Again, I'm sure that's just, it just alleviates so much confusion or potential time waster. It does. That's another thing. Another piece of advice I have about um, remodeling is to um, not to wait to order stuff. It is a pain in the butt 
to walk around piles of light fixtures and to walk around, you know, plumbing fixtures. It is a pain for us. We uh, rented a pod just to keep our supplies. And I always organize my supplies by category. So my plumbing supplies are not with my lighting supplies, which is not with my hardware and fixtures. They're not in the same place. So the plumber isn't like rifling through a bunch of light fixtures to try and find a faucet. The, the plumbing's in this corner, the electric's in this corner, and the hardware is in the front. And, you know, I, I organize it as such so that there's no guesswork. It's either in that pile or I don't have it. And if I don't have it, we got let me know. I'll see where it is. If, but I do not wait till the last minute to order anything because invariably there'll be a six to eight week waiting period to get that item in. That's the way it, this Murphy's law. As soon as you wait till the last minute, you won't be able to get it. Another thing I do with my contractor is once a week, I sit down with him and say, what do you need from me next? What's the next thing you need? And he'll say, okay, next thing I need is all of your floor tile. When do you need that? I need that in three weeks. Okay, great. Then I will order all my floor tile so it's here when he needs it. Sometimes contractors aren't great about giving you timelines about when they need something. And you as a homeowner may not be good at knowing the progression of how things happen in a build. Like you may not realize this, but you have to have a shower valve in your plumbing, in your wall. That's the valve that's inside your wall that your shower handle attaches to to regulate the hot and cold. Well, in order for you to pass plumbing inspection, you have to have the shower valve installed in your wall. Well, a shower valve is not a universal item. The shower valve only works with the shower fixture that you have purchased. So you have to purchase your shower fixtures really early in the process of remodeling. Well, who, who purchases a shower fixture without knowing what your vanity, your flooring, you have to pretty much design the bathroom to be able to buy the shower head and get the shower valve. But if you don't know that, then your your contractor is going to be like, yep, I need your shower valve next week. And you're like, hold on, I don't even know what color, like, am I going to do chrome or brushed nickel or bronze? I don't even, haven't even made those decisions yet. But unfortunately, you have to. So, If your contractor doesn't offer up some kind of schedule of when he needs what, that is something you should ask for. Give me what you need first and then next and tell me when you need it. Do you need it this week? Do you need it in four weeks? Let me know what I should be ordering and when so I have it. That was one of the reasons that we uh, finished our current home that we're living in on time was because I was ahead of him. So by the time he needed something, I already had it. He's not waiting for me. It also spaces things out. So you're not like bombarded all at once. Like here, you have to get everything. It's like a week by week thing where you're like, okay, this week I'm going to focus on this. Next week, I'm going to focus on that. Makes it much less stressful for yourself. It does. And it also helps you and he stay on track, right? So if he says, Next week, I need your shower valves. And next week, company doesn't ask you about them. You can go, hey, what about those shower valves? Didn't you need that this week? Are we behind? Is something wrong? It's a good way for you to kind of 
set up little red flags uh, in place so you can go, oh, okay, that's something's amiss here. What's happening here? Like we have an issue with our flooring. We were waiting forever with my flooring for this current house for my kitchen. We finally got it two days ago and I'm like, let's get started. What are we waiting for? You've had all this time to wait for this tile. What's going on? You know, it was a way for me to go. You told me you were ready for this. Now I have it. Why aren't we moving forward? Um, it's a it's a great kind of accountability piece too to say what do I need? What do I need? What do you need from me next? And then to keep, I, I write all that down. I have one notebook. This little bitty notebook. Where is it? Right here. It lives with me. A fan actually sent it to me. I have this notebook. This is my remodel notebook. I don't keep my to-do list for home in this. Uh, it's all about this remodel. So like I measured out our closets, wrote it all in here. I went to uh, shopping at a stone store. I, went it all, I wrote it all in here. Who did I talk to at the container store? It's right here. Who did it, what, the DWP is coming on Monday, and here's all the information I need about the DWP. It's all in one place, and it's small enough that it fits in my purse because you're constantly, or I am at least constantly doing something with this house. So I needed this notebook. And then if you're like, wait, what did they say about when the DWP was coming? Let me look that up because I know where it is. It's in one notebook. It's not on a scrap of paper stuck to the my rearview mirror. You know, it's all in one place. So I highly recommend that too. One dedicated notebook that you can just jot things down because, you know, you'll be with a vendor talking to them about something and need to jot something down. And instead of it ending up in some random place, if you just always carry your notebook, you don't have to worry about where it is. What else? What else? What else? Um, you had a, you had a back house too that you're We're making into the currently double, in you double podcast studio with a gym. So, what was involved with the back house? What were the rules for that? What is it different from the main house? Ooh, you got a binder. Here's my binder. <laughs> Same thing. It's my binder. I always find it helpful too if you print out drawings so that if you're ever talking to somebody about tile you can say here's the floor plan this is what i'm talking about that was also very helpful in this binder i have um all the color of all the paint and it's the same as my other binders see i've got little folders with pockets anything i purchased i put in the binder it's exactly the same as i did for the other house um, yeah, it's no different. And this house is a, this is a, you know, this is a workspace, but it requires the same things. It requires flooring and lighting and wallpaper and all kind of good stuff. So it just goes in the binder. And I, same thing. I had inspiration photos, you know, oh, I have, this is a great one. This is my inspiration photo for the, for the kitchen. So I found this and I went to the only designer I hired was a kitchen designer. I went to her because this is going to be something's burnings kitchen. I wanted to make sure that it was done really well. Not that I don't, I'm not good at that, but I just wanted to make sure. So I took her this picture and said, this is, this is my inspiration picture for his kitchen. And it looks a lot like this, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a, a real shortcut way of communicating. Real shortcut. Some tips. 
If you're trying to figure out um, your paint color for a room, get a piece of drywall, paint it with primer, and put your paint color on that piece of drywall with primer and put it in the room you want the paint. I am sorry. These little paint swatches are very helpful, but the light in your room has so much to do with how that color looks on the wall. So, piece of drywall is cheap. You can buy that by yourself at Home Depot, prime it, paint it all day long, and put it in that room. Super easy. Uh, buy samples of everything. Samples are three bucks, four bucks, five bucks, and it adds up over time, but it's so much easier to buy a sample than to buy a product and have to return it. So, you know, and so many places offer, like, this is a sample of wallpaper. I think it was $1.99. I'm happy to pay $1.99 to go, yeah, that doesn't work with my color scheme. But I really like this wallpaper, but it's, it's not going to work for what I was thinking. So don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money just to do some prep work like that. So that way you're not kind of throwing good money after bad, buying a ton of stuff you don't need and then returning it. Um, let's see. I had another one and now I forgot it. Um, Measure twice, cut once goes with everything. Measure twice for your closets. Measure twice for everything if you're going to buy it yourself. If your contractor's going to do it, you don't have to worry about it. This is a way that I saved money. One of the ways I saved money. I decided my kitchen needed to be done right. We live in our kitchen. And I hired, like I said, a designer to design our kitchen and to just deal with the kitchen entirely. I did not do that in our previous house, but I did in this one. And so how I balance that out, because the, the kitchen cabinets are quite expensive, is I bought less expensive cabinets for my pantry and for my laundry room. And we have like a mudroom area. I didn't use that designer. And I was very upfront with her about it. I was like, I'm, I am going to spend money. This is the same theory. I'm going to spend money here and save money here, and not just spend money everywhere. So I went to Cabinets to Go. I think they're all over the nation, but I went to Cabinets to Go, and they have solid wood cabinets. You just have to assemble them yourself. They have probably five or six different style cabinets and several different colors. And I bought Cabinets to Go for our mudroom, our screening room, our laundry room, and all of Bert's gym. And yes, it is time consuming for me to put them together completely. It wouldn't really make sense if I hired somebody and paid them an hourly wage to put them together. I am putting them together myself. And that's one of the ways I'm saving money. And it didn't really take me that long and it wasn't hard. And I had them professionally installed. So my kitchen installer who installed the kitchen here at the, at the podcast studio installed Bert's kitchen. So I'll spend the money on the installation. But I put them together and they cost me 50% less than if I had bought them through the kitchen designer. So that is a great way to save money, in my opinion. Um, but you have to be willing to put the elbow grease in. Not everybody is. Not everybody wants to do that. And I get that. But I really don't mind. And at the end of the day, I had to buy so many cabinets for the laundry, the pantry, the mudroom that I was like, it's, that adds up. It's really a lot. And it's just my, I mean, not, I don't want to say it's just my time, but it is, it's my time. And I choose to spend it doing that 
so that I can feel better about my budget. Um, that's one of the things I did myself that I think may be overwhelming for people, but was really great about Cabinets to Go is I went down there with the measurements my contractor gave me and sat with Lisa in Commerce. Thank you, Lisa in Commerce. And, and they are not a sponsor. I just, I really had a great experience with them. I, I'm not getting any money or anything, no free product or nothing from them. But she sat with me for a couple hours and designed out all these spaces. Every time I had a change, she had no complaints. There was no problems. She'd change it. She would redraw it, send it back. And she got me what I wanted. And it was a pleasure. And it really was not that hard because she's someone who, that's all she does all day long is design stuff with her cabinets. So she knows it way better than I do. I tried to do this by buying like prefab cabinets at Home Depot, but I'm not experienced in what if you have 28 inches, but you only have 26 inches of cabinets. Oh, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea. I'm lost. But she does. So she goes, oh, well, here's what you do. You put a filler here and you put a filler there and you move this over here. And and she just has more experience than I do. And I found it very, very easy and really helpful. And then all I really have to do is put the, assemble them. I just put them together. And they're not much more complicated than an Ikea cabinet. They're really pretty much the same. I needed a drill, a screwdriver, and a mallet. That's it. So that's one thing we've done to kind of, or I shouldn't say we. <laughs> one thing I've done, I'm also a big reuser. So like I said, this, we added, we're adding um, some bedrooms to this house because it was only a three bedroom house, even though it had more living space, it was only three bedrooms. And I really wanted four because I wanted one for me, one for each of our girls and one for my dad or any guest who come. I wanted a guest room. That's what I wanted. So we added some bedrooms to the house, but we really didn't touch the first floor much at all. And the second floor had one bedroom already. So we just kind of added to the second floor. But I've reused so much from this house. Like they took all this great Douglas fir out of this house. And I was like, I'm just going to put that beam back up in the wall exposed because it's beautiful. And then I don't have to buy a new beam. And the fireplace was covered in drywall. And when they took it down, I was like, oh, I just need to power wash that. And then I'm happy with that. Instead of trying to make everything look just absolutely perfect, I try to work with what I have. And how do I make that personal And instead of making it perfect? But maybe that's just my style. Um, another thing that we've, I've tried to reuse every interior door I could. A lot of the doors were not to code. Um, in California, a door has to be 32 inches wide and most of our interior doors were only 30. So I couldn't really keep some of them, but, um, I try to reuse. I've, I've donated everything I possibly could to Habitat for Humanity, which I think is a, an amazing program. And they will take a lot of building supplies that are in good condition. Uh, there's a lot of light fixtures I'm reusing just by cleaning them up and sprucing them up a little bit. Uh, some of them here in the podcast studio are from the original house, two of them. Um, I'm, I'm big on, uh, yeah, just kind of thinking how can this be repurposed instead of just throwing everything out? Uh, even pieces of furniture that she left. She left a lot of furniture here in this house that we're remodeling now, and I didn't throw it out. I am repurposing almost all of it because I think, why would you throw a perfectly good piece of furniture out? 
I mean, there's this one set. I don't know if you know this, Halston, but she left this iron furniture in the yard, this outdoor furniture. It's really old, white iron and has like rose detail on it, right? And I was like, well, I can just have that powder coated and then I'll have an outdoor furniture set. Yes, it costs some money to have it powder coated, but not as much as buying a whole new furniture set. So I'll do that. Well, the guy came and picked it up. He was like, this is very valuable stuff. It's worth like a lot of money. No (laughs) kidding. Yeah, he did. It was like, this is, he was like, the couch is worth like $10,000. And I was like, what? What? Are you kidding me? I was like, bonus. Well, let's paint it up and put it back in the yard. That's amazing. So you just never know what you may find in your house that you're remodeling. I don't know why people are so, uh, so anxious to just rip everything out. I mean, we're not even touching the master bedroom. We're, we're nothing. We're not even replacing the drywall because there, again, the house has good bones. If it has good, but we're not, we're redoing the pool, but only because the plumbing was shot, but the pool's in great shape. There's no reason for us to, no reason for us to tear it out and start over. How is an iron couch worth $10,000? I don't know. It's some special designer that the only people that made the kind with the roses on the front. That's how you oh. identify it. Crazy. Wow. Right? Crazy. Wow. That is, that's pretty right. cool. And I mean, and if you needed to, you could sell it and totally. pay for a bunch of other stuff. Several, several pieces of outdoor furniture. <laughs> we totally could, but I don't know. Um, let me think if there's any other advice I can give about. You know, the budget piece, I don't know. The budget piece is important to me. I don't know if it's important to everybody to to formulate a realistic budget and expect to go 20% over budget, but to shoot for your budget, right? If your budget is $100,000, you can expect and be prepared to pay $120,000, but then be really try to hit that hundred grand to really try because I was so proud of myself when I hit my budget. I was 2% over. I was so proud of myself. And I thought I could have easily gone, well, screw it. I mean, I gave myself a 20% buffer. I guess that is really important to know. It is very rare that a project comes on at budget. It usually is about 20% over. So you think, well, why don't we just set the budget at 20% over? I don't know. That's just kind of how they do it. They, it. It can be done for this amount, but invariably something comes up you're not expecting and it adds to the budget. So it's kind of for the unforeseen pieces um, that happens in every single project. Even if you're building something brand new, I think it still happens. So that's Hey, maybe 10% of that budget is some outdoor furniture you found. And now we're going to go to Antiques Roadshow and exactly. make that money. Get that money, money. Um, yeah, anyway. What else? Anything else? Hmm. Oh, you know, I used to work for a contractor and he said to me, spend money on things you touch. If you don't touch it, don't worry about it. Like you don't touch a light fixture. You can find a light fixture that makes you happy that's not $1 million. There are so many light fixtures that are like $1,000. And I can find one that's almost the same for 200 bucks. You don't ever touch your light fixture. So don't spend your money on that. Spend your money on what you touch. You touch your faucet. 
you don't want a rinky dink, like falling apart faucet that you touch every day over and over again. And, you know, you touch the countertops on your kitchen. Uh, you the, you pay spend money on the things that you touch, he always said. And I thought that was really good advice. This is true. You don't touch your light fixture. You know, I paid 20 bucks for my outdoor light fixtures, 20 bucks each. Because I thought, who's going to walk up there and touch that and know that it's plastic and not metal? Nobody. Uh, it looks great. You can't tell from, I'm looking at it right now. It looks amazing. It's a plastic light fixture on the side of my house that nobody's going to touch. <laughs> so that was another good piece of advice. He also gave me advice, the same kind of advice where you know where to spend your money. He was really good at design, but that man put subway tile in every bathroom in every house he did. And subway tile is so cheap. So he just made it look good by laying it out in different ways. Like our kitchen subway tile in our current house is laid vertically. And everybody comes in and goes, I love your kitchen tile. And I'm like, it's the cheapest tile you can buy. You like it because we did it up and down and not horizontal like you're used to seeing it. It makes it elevated. You just have to kind of think outside the box and see how can I take this ordinary thing and make it something special. He was really good at that. Um, Another thing you should always spend your money on is function, I think. Um, Function also being something like insulation. This may sound really stupid to people who don't live in California, but in California, they don't really insulate walls. Not really. Especially if you buy a house that was built a long time ago, the only thing that's insulated is the attic. So everything is super inefficient. And when we were redoing this house, our master bedroom faces south, which is where the sun is all day, every day. And there's no insulation in the walls. And I was like, let's poke holes in that and blow it full. Because the function of this room is for us to be comfortable in it. And it's going to be hot as blue blazes if it doesn't have some kind of insulation. I mean, the air conditioning is just going to go right through the walls. So that is another thing I would say you should spend your money on is something that increases the efficiency of your house and increases the functionability of your house. Um, We have huge dogs. We wanted hardwood floors. That doesn't go together. (laughs) Big dogs are drooly and slobbery. And when they drink water, it's not graceful. It's all over the place. And it's gross. And we just had to go, you know what? The back part of our house has to be tile. We can put hardwood floors in our bedrooms and our hallways and our dining room, but our kitchen and our den just has to be tile or the dogs will just destroy it. So I think that's something to think about when you approach design is how do we live? You know, we, we went to Bert's parents' house for Thanksgiving. They'd built a brand new house. that had a huge open concept, living room, dining room, kitchen, all in one room. And we came home and went, that is not how we function. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful, but that's not how we function. We like a little separation in our life. Like we like that our kitchen is separate, not closed off, but separated and not one big open concept. And I think people think, oh, open concept sounds amazing. But think about how your family functions. Uh, For us, we have friends over a lot that have kids and the kids separate off from the parents. And in an open concept, you can't really do that. 
you can't really have an adult conversation because the kids are basically in the same room with you. And then the kids get really loud and now you can't hear each other. So function should always go hand in hand with your design, with form. If you, if you can't function in the space, then you won't use it. You won't use that space. And then you've wasted that money or time. You know, if, if it weren't for Bert, I would not put a big giant bathtub in our bathroom. I don't ever take a bath. I don't have time for a bath. I just have a nice big shower. We have a nice, decent sized shower, but the shower is a lot smaller because he loves the bathtub that's in there for function because he takes a bath a lot and I don't. So yeah, it's just something to think about. Um, Other ways to save money, I think. I think you can, thinking outside of the box, I think is the best way. You know, marble countertops are the best thing. They're actually not. They're the most expensive thing, but they stain. They patina like crazy. You can't put a wine glass on. Patina means age. Hmm. They age and discolor. You have to seal them. It's not for me. I I have a quartz countertop and I flipping love it. And it's not that much less expensive, but again, the function of it is awesome. And where can you, I don't know, where can you find places where you can kind of be creative and get what you need. Like light fixtures are the are for me is the number one place where you can figure out how to get the aesthetic you want without spending a lot of money. Um, what else? What else? Anything else? I can't think of anything else. Pretty comprehensive, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a non-renovation oh. question. How is your Invisalign going? I hate it. Why? Does it hurt? Here. Should I put it in? There it is. Bottoms, top. I hate it because I talk so weird. <laughs> I sound, I sound stupid with a misline. I don't like it. I don't like it because you know what? It makes me clench my teeth all day, all day. I'm like this, or I sleep clenching my teeth. Like I'm afraid I'm going to break one of my teeth because I'm clenching them so hard. I don't know why, but they're making my problem. The clenching problem worse. They're working. They're already moving my snaggle tooth. I see that they're working. They're easy. I can take them out, eat, brush my teeth, but I'm not enjoying them. Would you rather have braces? Yes, absolutely. I'd rather have braces. My husband would divorce me if at 50 I had braces, but I had rather have braces. Yeah, I had braces. Painful. Oh, you did? You had braces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had braces with rubber bands and all kinds of shit. Yes. And uh, I I like that much better. You didn't get a permanent retainer on bottom? Did not get a permanent retainer on bottom. My orthodontist did not believe in those. Uh, and that was also 1988. Yeah. I get really frustrated because for the rest of my life, I got to have this thing on the bottom of my mouth. You have a permanent like, one? Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Yeah. My dad said his fell off like 20 years later or something like that. And you never put it back? He never got one put back. No, it was, and it's fine. Never moved or anything, but it just kind of naturally fell off. But I ask about it whenever I go in, like, am I going to have to have this thing in forever? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much forever. Yeah. Yeah. This I'll have one too when I'm done. This, I guess this type of problem, it says Nagapit, is really hard to keep correct unless you 
wear a retainer for the rest of your life, which is why mine came back because I lost my retainer. And my, like I had a take in, take out sleep only retainer, which I liked and I had no problem. But when I moved from New York to LA, I lost it. I lost it for like two years. And by the time I found it, the top fit and the bottom didn't. And I was so broke. I was like, I can't afford to go buy a new retainer. I just, I'm just not going to worry about it. How bad can it get? <laughs> well, <laughs> it took a long time though. I mean, it, it's not it too bad. It it took, it, I don't care about what it looks like. I care that that snaggle teeth is pushing on that tooth and making it hurt. Hmm. So eventually it's going to end up injuring this top tooth and it's all because of an orthodontic problem. Well, then that's stupid. Just fix it. You know, just fix the orthodontic problem. I wish I would have stuck with my top retainer. I had a permanent on bottom and then they gave me a a one that you can take out to sleep with at night. And I just, I don't think that lasted five years even Mm. before I either lost it or stopped using it or I don't even know what happened to it. I don't even remember what it looks like, but I got my braces off when I was like 12 or 13 or something like that. I had them for a long time, Mm -hmm. four years. Mm. And I got them too early, I guess. Um, Different orthodontists say that they put braces on me too early. They had to take out baby teeth to put braces. What? Yeah. Yeah, they had to. I had an overcrowded mouth. They had to take out four adult teeth and three baby teeth in order for me to have braces when I was like 10 or 11 or something. Wow. Military orthodontia. Oh, boy. I didn't get mine until I was a senior in high school which was a little late yeah. because I spent years arguing with my mother that I didn't want braces that liked my crooked teeth. I have a daughter now, her name is Isla, who is arguing with me about not wanting to finish her braces and that she needs to make that decision herself. And uh, yeah, I, I feel her pain, but it is the best thing to just get it handled when you're still growing. I had almost stopped growing at that point. Um, and so I think that's part of why this moves so quickly is that my jaw didn't grow into place around it being in the proper place. It It's like in the improper place and it went back to where it was before. Mm. Um, so interesting. It is. I had my braces fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade. And so by the time I hit eighth grade, which is when I moved to the final city we were going to be living in, in Oregon, um, I didn't have braces when I was the new kid. And so that was like pretty cool for me. So I like, I got this new straight smile and I'm from Hawaii. Like I was awesome. I wore puka shells. I was- <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's really funny. <laughs> I wore puka shells. I was great. <laughs> and then I lost my retainer. It all fell apart from there. Right. Yeah, it's just because she's been going downhill and I'm losing my hair. It's bad. It's bad. Oh, it's bad. you are not. You're, you're losing your hair. Oh, I started Rogaine over um, COVID. I just, it just started thinning so bad up in the top, in the middle, and just thinning really, really bad. And um, I think I was just like, I got to jump on it. I don't know if this is stress related. I don't know if it's because I'm almost 30 now. I'm 30 in July. Holla. Oh and boy. I know. It's just maybe it's just part of part of the territory. Um, my dad's hair was gone by the time that he was my age now. And I know you're supposed to go off of your mom's father on whether or not you're gonna lose your hair. Um, but he's kind of still got a full head of hair and he's in his late 70s. 
Mm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just thinning out a little bit and not losing. I hope so. I'm self-conscious about it because I'm, I've, uh, I've always had good hair. And so kind of want to keep that going at least until I, I don't know, my forties. I don't know why it's gotta be my forties, but I don't know. I don't want to be bald guy yet. Okay. I don't want to yeah, be bald guy. That's for my dad. I'm not ready. I hear you. I don't want to be gray haired girl either, but I am super gray. You know, it's crazy. Um, my grandma has pitch black hair. Wow. Has never dyed it. She's wow. in her later seventies now has a few hairs and I'm just, I'm serious. Just hairs. Like there's some hair, no strands, some hairs right in there. Pitch black. It's Crazy. insane. My mom's She's full lucky. gray. My mom's full gray. Her mom, pitch black. Wow. Pretty cool. Yes, very cool. Very I always cool. tell people that and they're imp- <laughs> it's my it's very impressive at that age, you know. I started graying in my 20s. So like you losing your hair, I started graying that young. Oh, it's graying too. Don't worry. I'm <laughs> it's, it's thinning and graying. I'm seeing more gray streaks. Man, this pandemic is just, you know. It's just been stressful. There's just a general malaise of stress over the city in general. The homesickness is really getting to me. And uh, oh yeah, you're homesick. Yeah, I started feeling it a couple months ago, and it just hasn't. I haven't shaken it. I got. I got to go home. You know, I got to yeah. go. We got a baby. It's the first baby in the family. You don't have a baby. You have a niece. I have a niece. Yes. I have a niece. Let's clarify for everybody listening. Austin does not have a baby. I left a baby organ. (laughs) He has a niece. Yeah. I have a niece and it's just, yeah, I haven't seen her since last February. So it's a long time. It's a long time for a newborn. And now she's, you know, one, almost one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It just bothers me. And, and we have a relationship over FaceTime, but yeah, that homesickness is. I've, this is the longest I've ever been away from my family. And, uh, you know, my family's like the most important thing as, especially as a kid who moved around a bunch in his childhood, the only stable thing was my family my sister, my, my parents. Sure. And, uh, so I, I usually go home around every like three or four months mm-hmm. before. And this time it's been over a year and it's like, I understand. This is the longest I haven't seen my dad. I haven't seen my dad since last Christmas, Christmas 2019. And this is the longest I haven't seen him my whole life. It stinks. It's really hard. It hurts. Um, it, just, it hurts. It does hurt. It's um, very kind of empty and sad and lonely and it stinks. I get you. I feel that way about my dad. My dad's coming soon. Um, oh, good. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to just spend time with him. You know, I talked to him on the phone, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. And are uh, you going home anytime soon? I am trying to plan it out with Bert's schedule. We can't really talk about that too much, but yes. um, May. Okay. Hopefully. That's good. I don't care if it's for a weekend. I just got to go up there. Yeah, you do. You do. It's okay. You can do it. You'll have some time. 
You'll have some time. Okay. And then we're also going to be doing in-person wife of the parties in your new studio. Yes, coming up, coming soon. I ordered my chair for here, uh, but I had I don't have it yet. And then I don't know what else do we need. Do we need microphones? You guys were going to order some stuff, right? Yeah, I sent Andrew the list. Okay, awesome. So when it's all ready, uh, I've gotten some requests for my drinking with friends podcast to come back. Yeah, so we'll do one of those here since we are all in each other's bubble anyway. Where uh, Sandy and Kathy and Lynn and I are all in each other's bubble, so maybe we'll we'll do it soon. It's so exciting! I hope to get it done before you know we lose Bert because I think he should be my first podcast in my new studio, right? We can do that anytime. Um, we can just use the equipment that's in his studio and move okay. it over, move it over to yours. So, like, really, anytime we can do one with Bert. Okay, then I'll I'll figure it out with him when his busy schedule allows. I'll make an appointment for his wife. Let's <laughs> squeeze it in there. All right. Well, thank you for being uh, my ear today as I explained my approach to remodeling. I hope I hope I hope it's helpful for anybody who's thinking about remodeling. It's not as overwhelming as you think it is as long as you prepare and you have the right perspective. Perspective preparation. That's it. And that's true for any project, really, not just remodeling a house. Um, having a baby, perspective, preparation. Getting married, perspective, preparation. Everything. Hey, let's talk about that one soon because I think I'm going to need some uh, perspective prepar- and preparation. Yep. <laughs> some PP. Some PP, baby. Okay, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Halton. Bye. Bye. Oh.